All right. Good morning again. If you would take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 verse 36. And we're going to read 36 through 39. And then we'll, uh, we'll finish this up later in the sermon. Luke 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him, anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Let's pray. Father, this morning has been a rush. And I know I say that not just for me, not just because my morning has been rushed, but uh, I bet I'm not the only one here. And so, Father, uh, slow us down. May we not just hear another sermon and go on with the rest of our day. May we stop and, and reflect and put ourselves in this story somewhere. And we know, Father, that that hearing, comprehending, applying these things must be a work of your Spirit. And so we ask, Father, that as we, as we examine this text, that your Spirit softens our hearts. Better yet, just breaks hearts of stone and puts in hearts of flesh. For your glory. In Jesus name. Amen. So. Um, I just tell you my. My journey. My, with this. With this text. I get up at 5 o'clock every morning. And I drive to True. And uh, I pull in the parking lot at 530. That tells you just how. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have a routine. Okay, I want to get. I'm. I'm. I've discovered that I need at least seven hours of sleep. Okay, and and so so I sleep as late as I can. But after five o'clock, I I really have to get up and go. So, um, in the process, um, I've got the Bible on CD, and I and in the New Testament, I'm listening through uh, the gospel accounts and. Uh, in fact, I don't even have the first, I don't even know where the CD is. I, I've lost chapters one through four. Now, in my mind, I'm like, eh, Luke one through four. Jeez. If I'm going to lose a CD, that's the one to lose, right? I mean, that's the birth narrative, the temptation of G. I mean, look, look if you look at this in Luke, in Luke well, uh, let me, let me back up. I, 
so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this, this chapter seven. And, and so far I've listened to five, six, and seven. And I'm like, okay, I've heard all this before. But then that story at the end of Luke showed up. Or in the end of chapter seven. There was one word that stood out to me above all the other words in that passage. And it seemed really out of place. And it was weeping. Weeping. What? That, that caused me to pause and go, okay, time out just a second. Why? I mean, hasn't she read the first six and a half chapters of Luke? What is she weeping over? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, chapter one, we're familiar with this, is, 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 it's the birth of Jesus foretold. Right? We hear it every year at Christmas, and if you hear it any other time, it's kind of awkward. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to hear, you know, the, the birth narrative in July, you know, because, you know, it's not Christmas. But we're all familiar with it, right? Angels show up, and they tell John, and they tell Mary. And, in fact, Matthew tells us that, that he even showed up and told Joseph. Oh, yeah, so the angelic appearances. We know that. We're familiar with that text. Chapter two is the same way. Jeez, that's that's even more that's even more labored than chapter one. Jesus is actually born. You know, we we know about the shepherds and the angels all showing up to the shepherds and making their announcement, and we're, we know this. We're familiar with the birth narrative. Chapter three. It's really no different. John the Baptist shows up, right? Yeah, you know, he's, you know, people are flocking to, to hear John the Baptist and he's, you know, preaching and preparing people for the coming of Jesus. We know this. He wore the camel hair and ate locusts and honey. He was kind of weird and, but he's really popular. We know this. We're familiar with this text. Chapter four. Great. Jesus, as an adult, overcame temptation. We've heard it before. Now, it's not as popular as the birth narratives, but hey, we've heard, we've heard this, we've read this before. Jesus overcomes temptation. Great. We're familiar with that. The end of chapter four, at the end of chapter four, he, he, he casts out a demon. That's like every other page in the New Testament. In the gospel accounts, he's casting out demons. He's great. He's, you know, that guy has an unclean spirit. Jesus cast him out. We know that. Chapter five, he's healing people. Um, uh, cleanses the leper. Of course, there was no, there was, you, he, nowadays, well, outside of COVID, you can get a shot and be better, right? For most, you can't do that with leprosy. Jesus shows up, cleanses the leper. Got it. It's right here. I got it. Jesus cleanses the leper. I'm familiar with this. I've heard it before. Oh, when we all know the story of the paralytic, right? You know, he can't get in because the house is, is crowded. There's everybody around Jesus. And so they take off the, the, the roof thatches and drop the man down. And we've heard that story. It's no big deal. We've heard it. 
probably hundreds of times, heard sermons on it. Jesus heals the man, got it, no problem. He walks away with his mat, that's pretty cool. Um, chapter 6, and he heals the guy with a withered hand. Again, he's got, he's got power over disease. Um, we got the Beatitudes in this, kind of the same thing as the Sermon on the Mount, which I don't know about you. Some of those teaching sections, you just, you kind of, eh. Let's get to some action. Oh, you know, let's go to the Kings or the Chronicles or, or, you know, I want to hear about David, you know, and the, some of his stuff that he did. Not, I mean, the teaching and, okay, well, Jesus taught. So we kind of glance at six. You know, we don't want to spend a lot of time there because, you know, it's just teaching. Then we get to seven, seven. Again, we're familiar with the first part of this, right? I mean, he raises the widow's son at Nain. I mean, can you imagine he's, you know, the funeral and here he comes and he's, he, he basically, uh, reinvigorates his family by raising the son from the dead because now they have a source of income. Well, we've heard this before, right? I mean, Jesus raises the dead. We got it. He raises the dead. So, so far, in, in knowing all of this, being familiar with all of this, did it warrant any kind of emotional response from me as I was listening? Nah, I've heard it before. And then I came across the word weeping. And that changed everything. Something, something happened in the first six and a half chapters of Luke for that woman to respond the way that she did. Something had happened there. And John tells us at the end of John 20, verses 30 and 31, that there's a whole lot of things that Jesus did. And in fact, we've not even written down everything that he did. But what was written was to get us to believe in Christ as the Son of God. So somewhere... In Luke 1 through 6, there's something there that would have prompted this woman in this story, in this, in this historical account, for her to weep over Jesus. So, I don't want to do a whole sermon speculating what could have happened, but man, what happened to this woman? Well, I mean, so now, now in my mind, I've been like, I have to go back and I have to rethink these chapters. I, I, I can't just be indifferent to them. I can't just, I can't just be like so familiar with them that it doesn't matter. Cause it does. And so, okay, so, um, chapter one, yeah, the, the birth of John, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. So it's not even Jesus. This is a guy that's coming to talk about Jesus. And an angel, Gabriel, showed up. How many of you had an angel show up before your babies were born? That's what I thought. I mean, I love my kids, but nobody's like, no, no angel showed up and like, you're going to have a kid, name her Faith. Sorry, that didn't happen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Mary, being unmarried, and then the angel Gabriel shows up, which, by the way, when angels showed up, you usually died. Okay, just... That's an Old Testament thing. 
Okay? They, they were, they enacted the judgment of God. And so, angel shows up. You're still alive. He's got something to say. That's really unusual. And the same thing happened with the, the, the birth of Jesus being foretold in the rest of chapter 1. And then chapter 2, guys, shepherds in the field, angelic host, still alive. <laughs> That's unusual too. I didn't have an angelic host being like, praise God for Michaela. Whoop, whoop. It didn't happen. And she's cool, but it didn't happen. I mean, that's really unusual. Something about this boy being born is a big deal. Chapter 4. The temptation. I can't just... You can't just read that and be like, he's tempted and he overcame temptation. No, listen, he overcame temptation. Every day I eat three meals a day. And even though I sweat it, sure, I drink plenty. I'm adequately hydrated, and my stomach is full, and I give in to temptation. Jesus went 40 days and didn't eat or drink and didn't lose the battle to temptation. This is not just an ordinary guy. There is something really not ordinary about this guy. And in fact, the first temptation was, if you had the power... Turn the rocks into bread. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be eating me some bread. Jesus overcame. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like I'm tempted without sin. That's a big deal. Chapter 5. This is kind of a strange question, and I don't know if those of you in the sanctuary are raising your hand or not, but how many of you have ever been around somebody that's demon-possessed? It is freaky. It is freaky. So we can't just be like, yeah, well, Jesus overcame the devil. <laughs> no, really, stop and think about it. Jesus overcame a demon in somebody. I don't have that power. Jesus has that power. Man. And then we get to chapter 5. He cleanses the leper. So it's not just that he has power over Demons and the devil, he's got power over disease. He's got power over disease. (laughs) So, so, So not just the spiritual realm is he victorious, but, but in the, 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 the biological, microbiological realm that right now as humans we're battling, Jesus wins. That's a big deal. Speculation. Do you think that she was there in that crowded house when they dropped the paralytic down through the roof? Don't know. We're familiar with the story. We know the the man picks up his mat and walks away. Here's a man who is a basically a quadriplegic. Can't move at all. He maybe can move his head. That's it. He can't work. He can't provide for his family. He can't hang out with his friends. He just lays around on a mat all day. This dude had some serious needs. And, and so his friends drop him down into, to where Jesus was at. And the first thing Jesus says is not get up and take your mat and go home. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
Are you telling me that, that that man who couldn't walk and couldn't hang out with people and provide for his family had a bigger need than the fact that he couldn't walk? Yes. So here, here, again, speculation. Was she in that crowd? Was she, did she hear, here she was with all of her baggage, all of her sin, and boy, wouldn't it be nice if some of that would go away and, and, and there was, you know, she could have a better life. To hear that her biggest need was not in the immediate, it was for eternity. That man, whether he ever walked again, his biggest need was that he needed to be forgiven by Christ. Was she there to hear that? I don't know. Like I said, something happened to this woman for her to respond this way. Get to chapter 6. You know, we again, we... Okay, yeah, he, he heals a guy with a withered hand. That's good. Then we get into the what's called the Sermon on the Plain, which is like the Sermon on the Mount. And again, you have all these big crowds, and this is the teaching stuff, so it's like, oh, you know, okay, you know, I'll glance at it, but stop and consider. Was she there to hear this? Because she had to have heard something that tipped her off both emotionally spiritually, something happened. So I look at it kind of like this. It's possible that maybe she saw the, the quadriplegic or the, and, and, and understands that she needs to be forgiven. She, I mean, maybe she gets somewhat of who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. You know, John said, I, I come to, um, I, I baptize with water, but this guy's going to baptize with fire and, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, his winnowing fork is in his hand. Maybe she heard that. Don't know. But maybe she was sitting there on the plain or the hillside at some point and she heard these teachings from Jesus. Maybe she heard him say, verse 46 of chapter 6. I'm sorry, verse 43. No, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Maybe she heard that. She's looking at her life going, something's wrong. I'm getting this. That, uh, that I've sinned. And I need forgiveness from this man. And now he's saying to me, it's obvious, so obvious that maybe we glance over it. Cause you know, our neighbor has an apple tree. You know what it bears? Apples. You don't go out there and you get oranges. You don't get out there and get bananas. You go and you get, and they're not even good apples. It's bad fruit. It's not good apples. Little, Puny, hard, nasty-looking apples. It's bad fruit. Wait, that's obvious. Bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree, good fruit. A person that has come in contact with Christ is going to bear fruit for Christ, for the kingdom. They are going to care about the gospel. Somebody who isn't saved, they're going to produce sin. 
This is not, this, this is not complicated. The question is, are we willing to apply this to family and friends? Ourselves? What kind of fruit are we bearing? Anyway. Did she hear this? Or maybe, maybe she was sitting there going, okay, I know, I know that I'm sinful, but, but I, but me changing my life, me, me doing this repentance thing, I, I know that Jesus is Lord, but, but I want to be able to maintain, you know, he's got two eyes and he can just stay over there and when he sees me, I'll try to be good, but, but otherwise I'm just going to maintain my, my sinful behavior and my life the way that I want it. And try to keep these two things separate because I know, I know I need a Messiah. I know I'm, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. But over here, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep living how I've been living. And then he hits her maybe with the next verse. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Ouch. Something happened in this woman. Was it that? Was it her trying to live in two different worlds, pretending to be somebody that she really wasn't? And so on one hand, Jesus is the Lord. On the other hand, I'm going to live my life. And here's Jesus going, time out. You can't call me Lord. You can't call me the master of your life and not do what I tell you to do. See, we have... We have in mind, and this this is in our culture, it's it's everywhere, We that, that Christianity can be defined by however you want to define it. Guess what? You can't do that. Christianity has to be defined by Christ and His commands. Again, it's not complicated. Did you hear this? I don't know. But when I get to seven... And I start in verse 36, when the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, I, I, and that got me to pause too, how does he know what a prophet is? Because he's familiar with the scripture. And I realized I want so badly to read that story and be like, I'm like the woman. I want to come to Christ and I want to be broken and all this. And the reality is I'm a lot more like the Pharisee. Just am. Why? Because I meet these chapters that are the inspired scripture of God and with indifference. It's really humbling to think, I, I, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. But have I ever responded like that to Jesus? That I would, that I would go into a home I was not welcome in. That, that a home that I know I'm going to be judged and hated. 
And it doesn't matter because I love this Messiah. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. You can't even say that line without being snooty. You know what I'm saying? You just can't. You, you can't say that without, without having some understanding that he was being better than her. Which, that was a Pharisaic thing to do. I'm, you know, he, he, Pharisees were notorious for being able to compare their lives to other people and be like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. <laughs> what do we do? In, 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 we do the same thing. Well, we, 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 we want Christianity that's defined by what other people do. Or we define Christianity ourselves. We, maybe we have no idea. I was talking to somebody um, years ago who, and, I, and this is nothing against Catholicism. I'm just this. He was a Catholic, and and I, I was I wanted to debate him. So, what do, what do Catholics do with First and Second Timothy and Titus, where you have all this laid out for how pastors and elders are supposed to act, what they're supposed to do, and you know his response was. Are those books of the Bible? It's like I don't even have. I can't even talk to this guy. He doesn't even know what the Scripture says. And yet, far be it from us to tell him he's not saved, guys. That's a false judgment. According to Jesus, if he doesn't bear the fruit. Of somebody who's been saved, then he's not saved. That, so, in response to all of this, here's what Jesus says. Verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, and by the way, the, the guy that owed... Uh, 500, that's, that's like, I was looking at it this morning, that's like a, like a hundred thousand dollars or more, two hundred thousand dollars, something like that. There's a lot of money. So like, I don't have that in my back pocket, sorry, just, you know, it's not gonna happen. The other guy, he owned like a month and a half. So today, you're looking at a few thousand dollars. Well, neither one could pay. So he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them, of these two, will love him more. Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. I love this. Then turning toward the woman. So we, so, so when they were reclining at the table, they'd sit on the floor with their feet behind them. And he, he, was, he turned and looked at this woman do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you know what? You know what Simon should have done? Simon should have joined her. Simon should have understood who this guy was. It's not just some guy. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're not right with him, it don't matter who you're right or wrong with. He should have been like, hey, let me hold that alabaster, alabaster flask while you, let's weep together. Let's anoint his feet together. And if you don't mind, my hair short. I'm going to use some of your hair, but, but no, none of that. 
You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. That was customary. It was customary that when you had a dinner party in those days, everybody wore sandals because it was hot. And that was just normal thing. It was a normal thing for the, the lowliest household slave to go around with a bowl of water and just get the dirt off your feet. That was a normal thing. What did Simon do? Didn't even offer a bowl of water, let alone wash his feet in gratitude. What's Simon thinking? That's just an, another teacher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch him. I have him over for dinner. I know what a real prophet is. Not even a bowl of water. What does she do? She weeps over him so much so that she is, I mean, I can't, I'm just, feet are kind of gross anyway, right? Wow. But dirty feet? So she provides her own bowl of water. She weeps over this man that she now knows I need him and I need him more than I need the next breath in my lungs. So she weeps over him. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Which, again, you can just see the picture. Better hope those feet are clean, right? It didn't matter to this woman. That's how much she understood she needed Jesus. All of my devotion, all of my love, all of my affection, everything I care about, it all goes to Jesus. That's what she was thinking. What did Simon do? What did the Pharisee do? Didn't kiss him. Well, he probably shouldn't. Didn't he know about COVID? Black plague, you know. That was that was like a handshake then. Now you've seen it in, in, in your Arabians, kissing each other's cheeks, and that would be like a handshake. Did Simon even offer a proverbial handshake to Jesus in his home? My guess is that Jesus knocked on the door to come in. The door is opened by a servant, and the servant said, you're sitting over there. Because from what I understand, Simon didn't say anything to Jesus. This woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. I live about four and a half miles down Highway NN from Louisiana. Imagine walking in this heat, that four, those four and a half miles to a dinner party. And you walk in and you are tired. You've been in the sun for, I don't know, how long is it? An hour, hour and a half walking? Now, we don't offer oil. As we talked about, I think there was just a couple of weeks ago, oil, they don't have suntan lotion, sunblock. They've got, they, they just refresh their skin with oil. Simon didn't even offer him oil. By the way, that was kind of a customary thing too. Imagine walking those four and a half miles and you come to my house for a dinner party and I don't even offer you something to drink. Here you are sweating through your clothes. Hot, dirty, and thirsty. And I don't offer you even a hello. Let alone a glass of cold water. No refreshment. She has anointed my feet with ointment. 
In other words, it was, it was costing her something majorly. Verse 47, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For or because she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So this woman, to warrant this emotional response to Jesus, understands something about her need for forgiveness. And that it wasn't just, I need to be forgiven, like that's a blanket statement, but I need forgiven from God Himself. And Jesus is my only hope. So I'm going to pour all of this out for Him. I'm going to, I'm broken. I need Christ. What about the Pharisee? Nothing. He was familiar with the text. And in fact, indifferent. He'd heard all the stories before to think of how scary it is to read the Bible and not be affected by what God has said. That is not a saved person. That's a Pharisee. And that's alarming to me. I want to respond like this woman. I, 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 want, I, want, I want the same kind of response. Verse 49. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, he ignored all of the comments and all of the, all of the whispers and all of the, Who is this guy really? And he looks at the woman again and he tells her what she has needed to hear now all of her life. And only recently, because he, I mean, he had a three-year ministry, and this is somewhere in the middle, somewhere in this, in, the, in his ministry, she began to see how much she needed Jesus. And this isn't just something that's recent. This is something that even as a child she needed. If God is going to hold me accountable for every sin I have ever committed, then I don't, who, I need forgiveness. I need somebody to stand in my place. That's Jesus. The last thing he says to her, not just that your sins are forgiven, but go in peace. Go in peace? In other words, the, 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 not just like the tranquility, I feel so good. I've got peace. No. Stop and think about this. If you're forgiven, which was the statement right before that, then you're no longer enemies with God. That's peace. God's not going to hold your sins against you because of Christ. Now, here's what's crazy. Where does that leave Simon the Pharisee? No peace, no forgiveness. He's got religion. He's got the scripture. I mean, he's got Moses and the prophets. Y'all, you have heard that before, you know, that, that being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Have you heard that? Being, being a French fry doesn't make you a, or going to McDonald's doesn't make you a French fry. Have you heard that before? Well, if you haven't, you have. Now, 
going to church, doing religious stuff, it doesn't make you a Christian. The only thing that makes people Christians, people who are saved, are people who in one sense have responded just the exact same way. All I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And if we didn't know it before, my hope is that we know it now. And in short order, Lord, we we have a great big need. And that need, that need is filled in Christ and Christ alone. So I pray, Father, that in this room today, these rooms, that you would do that mighty, magnificent work of grace. That, that, that yes, we should, we should be familiar with you. But never should we grow so familiar that we become indifferent to you. So Lord, shake off the legalism in our lives. Shake off the, the Phariseeism in our lives. The, the, the desire to just fall into that routine and really in one sense completely ignore you. Lord, by your grace and your grace alone, you change us. And by your grace, we'll respond just like this woman did. In Jesus' name, amen.